1 Corinthians, uh, as you may know, as we've been going through uh, 1 Corinthians, it's a little bit of a a tough book, (laughs) a little bit tough to preach um, in the sense that there's some sticky subjects, subjects. there's some uh, hard to deal with, and uh, you know, it's, it's convicting, it's difficult to understand at points, but um, I'd encourage you to stick through it, <laughs> stick with it. It's really good stuff. And this is one of those passages that is, a, in some, uh, some aspects, a little bit difficult to understand. So I hope to do the best that I can to help you guys understand uh, what the Word is saying, what, what God is saying, what Paul is saying to the Corinthians, and how it applies to you. And that's, that's something that's extremely important. And w- what I want you guys to really understand is that the Word of God is not a book that you just read, put it on your nightstand, and never think about again. The Word of God is His Word to us. We are to use His Word. You know, uh, Paul says in Ephesians that it's the sword of the Spirit. We're to use this to fight off (laughs) enemies, but you know, it's, it's also a word that cuts deeper than any two-edged sword. Cuts between the heart and the soul. Between bone and marrow. It hits hard. And it would be missing the point completely if you did not apply God's word to your life. Now, Paul says this to Timothy. He says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And he's saying that when the New Testament wasn't fully built. So he's talking about the Old Testament too. (laughs) And that's all scripture. Even the difficult parts, it's scripture and it's good for you. You know, sometimes you gotta eat the broccoli. (laughs) Sometimes you gotta eat the kale. (laughs) But it's good for you. And I'd really encourage you guys as we go through this, think about how it applies to your life. But not just that. The important thing of thinking about how it applies to your life is you need to have good context when reading the word. Because if you don't have good context, you can get some really, really whack theology. You can, I'm sure many of you guys can, you know, say a bunch of different places that that have had this or whatever. But taking scripture out of context is dangerous. It's very dangerous. Because it can, it can lead you astray. And you don't want to do that. Right? You, you don't want to be caught up in something that you came up with. <laughs> it's not great. So as we look through this passage, I, I want you to understand the context here. So Corinthians, uh, or Corinth, it was a place filled with idolatry. You know, it was uh, like, at that time, Sin City, right? It's, it was filled. It was commonplace. It was like eating and drinking to, uh, to be worshiping idols, worshiping gods. Everything went there right? You'd drink, get drunk, whatever, and all, everything was towards these gods. You know, they had games, kind of like the Olympics, where uh, these were held to praise their gods, right? This was just normal practice here. So a, a new church that's growing in this, this very difficult place, it, it needs some help, because I, I'm sure many of you guys have, uh, have been here, where when you've come to Christ, you know, there's some things that maybe you thought were okay before, but now as you go, it, it, it doesn't seem so okay anymore, right? And 
Sometimes we need the teaching in order to understand, hey, actually we, we should be doing this instead of that, right? So this is what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. He's, uh, he's giving this letter to the Corinthians to build them up, to grow them, uh, because they're a church in construction. So uh, let's, let's start and read at chapter 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. Well, that's a pretty clear statement. Paul says, flee from idolatry. That's it. Flee. Run. Go. Don't. No ifs, ands, or buts. Go. Flee from idolatry. You see, Joseph at Potiphar's, uh, at Potiphar's wife's house, <laughs> he ran. <laughs> he ran. He did not want anything to do with it. And that's what Paul is saying here. Do not meddle with idolatry. Flee from it. And, man, do I love this first opening section because it's a, it's a preacher's dream because there's a little word right at the beginning that says that that word is therefore. <laughs> and therefore is such a nice way to enter a message because it's so easy to move the context into what you're talking about. And as you guys have met, heard the saying probably many times, when you see a therefore in the Bible, you ask, what is it there? Well, I'm glad you asked. So <laughs> it's there for a reason. <laughs> it's, there's, there's actually two reasons why it's there. One is obviously Paul is, is moving the front of uh, the first half of the chapter to the second half. You know, he's saying, listen, look at the Israelites. They didn't do a great job. They, they went after idols, even though they saw God's miracles. They went after evil things, and it didn't work out for them. You know, and he says, he says, listen, you guys don't learn by experience. Learn by their experience. And he says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So Paul is saying here, hey, listen, it's all around you. I know the temptation is all around you. He says in 1 Corinthians, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape. Paul is saying, listen, idolatry is everywhere, but you have a way of escape. So go, flee, run out the door, right? That's what he's saying. But also, with this therefore, He's really coming back to what he was talking about in previous chapters. And that would be chapter 8 when he started to talk about how, uh, if it was okay to eat meat sacrificed to idols in the market. So, Paul goes through chapter 8, he gives an explanation in saying, you can eat the meat, just don't let your brother stumble. And then he goes on to say in chapter 9 how he, he's an apostle because some people question him on that. And he, he gave uh, his reasons and everything like that. And in 10, you know, he's explaining these things. So it almost seems like a little bit of a detour when we come back to this, this eating meat and idols. It's like, oh, was that just a big old, you know, rant or spiel? But remember this. The word of God is not, it didn't come from man. The word of God is the word of God. You know, when it says in Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, it means God breathed. So this isn't just Paul's opinions. This isn't just he was thinking about it for a while and he's like, oh yeah, that's a great way to do it. 
No, the Spirit was working through him as he wrote these things. So you'll see as we go through this chapter 10, you'll see how, we, um, how he's actually excellently wrapped up uh, this whole idea of how we as Christians should live our lives. And especially in an idolatrous world. So we'll be getting more into that um, as we go through. But also, verse 2, he says there, you know, uh, I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. So the Corinthians thought they were a wise bunch. Uh, understandably, they, you know, they had lots of philosophy around them and, and uh, were somewhat well-educated. You know, they would have long talks and, and whatnot. <laughs> But Paul, you see throughout Corinthians, he uses this kind of cheekily. <laughs> he says, you know, as wise men, you know, as, as you think you're so wise, think about this, right? Because, you know, if you're so wise, you should know. <laughs> but also what Paul is saying here is saying, hey, think critically about what I'm about to say. Might get a little confusing, but think critically about it because it's, it's important. It's important to understanding that. And that's the same for us. That's the same calling for us. Is hey, we can think we're real wise, but Paul says if if you think you know, you probably don't. <laughs> if you think you can stand, you probably can't, right? And it's it's so true for us. I mean, I say this as being a twenty-something-year-old. You know, I think I know everything, right? <laughs> but this is the thing: is is when we come to difficult passages, when we come to things that we may not understand. It's important to think critically. Don't, don't just be like, oh, I don't understand that. Like, uh, whatever, I don't care about it. I'll just move on, right? I'll get to the, the other easy stuff. It's important, stop and think. Study. I'd really encourage you guys to study. I mean, it, it doesn't take long. Little time here and there, but I really encourage you guys to study. So as we go through the scriptures, let's do exactly that. Think critically. So... Uh, let's go for verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. So, with this, here is the first of the three key points to understanding this passage and the, the chapters previously. That being, we are one body in Christ. When you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you become now one body. All of us here are one body. That's, that's, that's how it works. <laughs> and now as one body, that, that, that means it's something. That's significant. It's not just, oh yeah, we're one body or whatever. <laughs> it, it's, it's something significant. And Paul... He uses communion as this example to, sh to show this. Because Paul was, was talking about earlier, and he'll talk about later, of the importance of communion. Because the, the Corinthians had a hard time with communion. You know, some of them were showing up and, and splurging, getting drunk and everything. And it was not a good thing. <laughs> so Paul had to, had, to, had to tell them about that. So he's using this, this context again. He's saying, you have taken communion. Is not communion the blood of Christ? Is not the communion the, the, the body of Christ? Right? And this isn't to say that the actual, when we take communion, that the, the juice and 
the little cracker that we have becomes the body of Christ. It's symbolic, right? It's, it's to remind us. And this is so incredibly important because I don't know if you knew this, communion, the word in Greek is koinonia. And you may have heard koinonia uh, a bunch of times. You might be like, what in the world are you talking about? Koinonia is Greek for fellowship. And this fellowship is very, very significant. You see it throughout the Bible. And it's so incredibly important because it's not just any, like, you know, hanging out with your friends or whatever. It's not just a regular type of fellowship. It's true and meaningful because, you know, actually in the Bible, more often than not, it's used in reference for our relationship to God. 1 John 1, 3 our fellowship is truly with the Father and, the fa- and His Son, Christ Jesus. Our fellowship is real with God. And this, this fellowship is a meaning, an intimate fellowship. It's actually commonly used uh, at, at the time to describe marriage. That is what koinonia is. It's to describe a close knitting, a close fellowship together. So Paul is saying, listen, you as believers are now one with Christ. You are fellowship. Think uh, how we see marriage, right? Two becoming one. The, the word marriage means two becoming one permanently, right? Unfortunately, that's not as common these days is, is for it to be permanent. But that's the intent, is for it to be permanent. And with Christ, when you, when you give your life to Christ, that is permanent. So why is Paul saying this? What, what, is the, what is the purpose? He is trying to make a point here is that this matters. This really, really matters. So he's saying, listen, communion is not just a, a thing that you do as Christians. It's not just something that you, you oh yeah, we're doing communion again or whatever. It's to remind us, one, of what Jesus did on the cross for us right? He died. He, he died what we should have died. He was shed on the cross for us. His blood poured out for us. We should have been there. And it's important to remember why he did that. Why did God remove our sin? Why? Because he wanted to be with us. He wants us to have eternal life. It's not just he thought it would be cool. <laughs> he wants us to have eternal life. He wants to be with us. It says in 1 Peter 3:18, "For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit." See, that's the purpose. So when you take communion, remember that it's not just a thing that you do. It's something to remind you, one, of what Christ did for you, and two, of where you are now with Christ. And that's amazing. That's amazing. So I, I'd encourage you guys, think about that next time you have communion, how important that is. It's fellowship with God. Think you're, you're practically sitting at the table with Jesus. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so let's continue on. Verse 18. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? 
that an idol is anything or what is offered to idols is anything. Rather that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You can drink you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Okay. So you're hearing this, and you hear a lot of talk about, you know, cups, tables, drinks, bread. Might get a little hungry. I know it's coming up on lunch. <laughs> but why? Why is he doing that? Why, why is God bringing this up? Well, food is important. <laughs> As some of you may know more than others, food is great. Food is essential not just for our well-being, our nourishment, but food is also essential for our social life. There's a reason why you invite someone over for dinner. Uh, it's usually someone that you know or want to get to know. You don't just arbitrarily say, hey, yeah, come over for dinner, you know, find whatever you want in the fridge, make it for yourself, go on the couch, watch some, some TV, and you'll be fine. Like, <laughs> that's not normally what, what you mean when you invite someone to dinner. Also think, if you want to take someone out on a date, you usually bring them to dinner, right? It's, it's a normal thing, right? But especially here in Corinth, because Corinth, and actually a lot of the places, especially at that time, and even now, North America, not so much, but you see it every, almost everywhere else in the world. The, the food was not necessarily set on individual plates for you. It was set in the middle of the table, and you had bread and your hands. <laughs> and those were your utensils. You just dipped in the sauce, you, you loaded the meat on or whatever, and uh, you better hope you know the person who's sitting across from you, because you're probably going to be swapping spit at some point. <laughs> so Paul uses this example to say, hey, listen, if you're at the dinner table and you have Jesus on the left hand and a demon on the right, that doesn't work. <laughs> They're not going to have good conversations. He's saying, listen, you cannot partake of idolatry. You can't worship other gods and worship God, the one true and living God. It, does, it, it just doesn't work. But not only that, see, Paul, it, it almost sounds like he's contradicting himself in chap, uh, because of what he said in chapter 8. Because chapter 8, he said, oh, well, uh, the meat and the idols, there's nothing but, like, there's no attachment to them, so eat the meat. The meat's good as long as it doesn't make your brother stumble. But now he's like, well, do you think I'm saying that the idols have, or the meat has more to it? He's saying, no, no, the, the idols don't have, or, and the meat have no spiritual attachment to them. It's what's going on behind the scenes. He's saying those who are willingly worshiping these idols, sacrificing to these idols, are being taken advantage of by these evil spirits, by demons. And that may be a little bit <laughs> confusing, and, and like I said, this is, a, this is the meat and potatoes of the, of the chapter. So that's what, what Paul is saying. He's like, listen, when you... You can't be both with other gods and God. So, Paul is not, is not contradicting himself. He's furthering on the conversation. Again, he's really wrapping up what he was talking about in 8. And we'll see further how, how, these, how maybe some of the gray area comes a little bit more clear. 
But uh, he definitely had one, of the, one passage in mind as he's writing this, and that was uh, Deuteronomy 32, 16 to 18. They provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons, not to God. To gods, they did not know. To new gods, new arrivals that your fathers did not fear. Of the rock who begot you, you are unmindful and have forgotten the God who fathered you. So I, I'm sorry I didn't have slides for today. <laughs> if you have uh, questions or, or want the, the verses, feel free to come talk to me after. But you may hear this, and, and that was in reference to God. It, it said there at the beginning, they provoked him, meaning God, to jealousy. And you see that in, in verse 22. Now, you may have a, a little bit of a concern because I know I've, I've had this question before. How could God be jealous? How is that a good thing? If God is so good, if God is perfect and pure, how could he be jealous? Because isn't, isn't jealousy a sin? But that's where the English language kind of sucks. <laughs> jealousy can be so easily mixed up with covetousness. When you crave someone's position, people will say, oh, you're jealous of them. Well, really, that's covetousness. And as, as we as uh, who, whoever decided uh, the definitions uh, of these English terms, yeah, jealousy and, um, uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> and covetousness, they can be somewhat synonymous. But remember the context of the Bible because God cannot be a perfect and true God if he sins sometimes. There's got to be a reason why he's, he's called a jealous God. He's, he's jealous for us. You, I'm sure you've heard that song before. He's jealous for us. Love's like a hurricane, but I'm a tree, right? W why is that? Now, this is where... I'll give an analogy to help understand. Now, I just recently got married, so uh, this is, a, you know, I'm playing all my cards, <laughs> all the marriage cards. So think of it like this. If I were to say to my wife, hey, I'm going out to an Italian restaurant uh, with a good friend of mine. She's, she's great. You know, she's, she's great. We're just catching up. It's going to be a nice, really nice Italian restaurant. Uh, we'll have a great time. She, understandably, will be... Uh, not too, <laughs> not too happy. A little, a little concerned. Like, sorry, what are you doing? But what if it were to go even further? What if that lady were to say, "Hey, come to my place. You know, we can continue on at my place." <laughs> my wife <laughs> would not be very happy. It would, it would not be okay, right? And I'd say, "Oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm strong. I'm tough. You know, I, I won't even be tempted. No, it." Even, and even if I did get tempted, well, I'm strong. I, I can resist temptation. But remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let him, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Listen, we're weak. <laughs> we are weak. I'm weak. We fall into temptation all the time. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, right? And that's the thing, is we're human, we're fallen, we make mistakes. Thankfully, we can come to God and ask for forgiveness. But this is the thing, is that my wife is rightly angry or 
jealous of me in that situation. Why? Because in marriage, two become one. I am now hers and she is now mine. So she reasonably is jealous, not in the position that I'm in, but she wants me for her own and her own alone. And let me tell you, that is reasonable. That is totally reasonable. That's the purpose of marriage. And it, that might not feel reasonable today. There may be, I mean, I'm sure you guys have watched TLC before. There's, <laughs> there's lots of, of, of television shows about that. But I don't know if you noticed, those things usually don't work out. And it's so, so important. And this is, this is how it relates to God. See, God loves us greatly. He wants us for himself, not because he's selfish, it's because he knows that leading, that sin, that idol worship leads to death. Just like my wife knows that me going out to dinner and going to that lady's house leads to death <laughs> on my part. <laughs> See, that's the thing is that God loves us so much, so much. It's so, it's so intense because he does not want us to die. He would not be a loving God if he's like, oh yeah, sure, go ahead. No, <laughs> he wants you. He deeply cares for you. You know, reading in Exodus, he's talking to Moses about how to build the tabernacle. And he says all these intricate, beautiful things. It's, it, it's gotta be perfect, right? And he tells Moses why. It's not because God needs gold. It's not because he needs silver or people just to do work for him. No. <laughs> He wants to speak with his people. He told Moses, that is where I will speak with you. And that was just necessity. God is a perfect God and we're sinners. There needs to be some way of us to communicate. There needs to be some way to cleanse us for a moment to talk with him. And that's exactly why God did it. And that's exactly why Jesus was sent here to die on the cross for us. It's to be with us. See, he is jealous for us because he wants us deeply. That's, that's why he's jealous. It's not a, I want to be where you are, definitely. God does not want to be where we are. <laughs> he wants to be with us. He wants to be one with us. So, let's keep going. Verse 23. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Okay, so this I'm sure you've heard many times. This is a, a just good wisdom. You know, don't, don't look after the things that will bring you down. Look after the things that will bring you up. Don't, don't look for yourself first. Look for others before yourself, right? It, it seems pretty reasonable. And the thing is, though, this is the second of the three important important verses to understanding this passage. One is we're one with Christ. We are one body with Christ. Two, consider others. Consider others. See, Paul is saying, don't be selfish. Sure, he's using Corinthians words uh, kind of on their head because they would say, oh, all things are lawful for me. I can do whatever the heck I want. You know, I can do uh, anything I care to do. And Paul says, well, listen, uh, no. <laughs> uh, you, 
being in Christ, yes, you are no longer under the law when it comes to the Judaic law, but there are some things that aren't helpful for you. You know, it's lawful for me to sit on the couch and watch disc golf all day, but that's not very helpful for me. Like, I'm not going to be a pro. <laughs> that's not going to be helpful. And especially if someone says, hey, Daniel, can I have your help for something? And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to watch this instead. I, I, I don't want to miss the game, so uh, you can do it on your own. No, that's, that's pretty selfish, right? That, that's, that's not really considerate of others. So Paul, he is using this, and you've got to remember the context. Why is Paul saying this? Because it's easy to be like, oh, yeah, these are great verses. I'm just going to read those and, and head out on my way. Sure, they're, they're good to live by, but you have to understand the context. Why is Paul saying this? Well, Paul is saying, listen, you can eat the meat. The meat is, the meat. Is meat. Uh, he says there, um, oh, sorry, we will see <laughs> as we go, you can eat the meat. But there's a few things uh, about it that it might not always be helpful to eat the meat. So let's read that, verse 25. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. If, anyone, if any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go and eat, Whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you. For conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Okay. So Paul gives an example of what could have happened to a Corinthian. I mean, what happens to us? We get invited over for dinner, and we know, hey, this person is not a uh, Christian. I know that they uh, worship other gods. What do I do? Do I take the food that they sacrifice, or do I refuse it? What do I do? Well, Paul, I think, excellently speaks on this. He says, again, not all things are helpful, and this is this is why he shows. So first he says, the meat, again, it's just meat. Uh, and, and he says there, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. That's, that's a, a reference to Psalm 24.1. He's quoting Psalm 24.1. And that, that verse was a common blessing before the Jews would eat their meal. That was just a normal thing. Like we give thanks and ask God to bless our food. They're saying, hey, everything is yours, God. We thank you for giving us this food and thank you. We already know that it's blessed because it's all yours. So Paul's saying, listen, you can eat the meat, but don't ask questions. <laughs> My dad says, don't ever ask the chef questions about what he cooked. Just thank the Lord for it and eat it because you never know what's going to be in it. But you, you, at least you got food. So what Paul is saying here is not for us to be ignorant, not for us to be foolish, but he's saying, listen, one, you can trip up yourself because even though you know it's lawful, uh, say they said it to some certain type of God and you're like, oh, I don't know if, they, if that one was okay or, or whatever. He's saying, listen, just don't ask questions. But if they willingly say to you, hey, this, this meat was sacrificed by idols, then don't eat it. And 
Why? Well, again, one, or really the reason why, is it goes back to let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. See, he's saying consider others, because the person who you're going to dinner with, one, they're worshiping idols. So, if he says, oh, you know, this is the best meat ever because I sacrificed this to Poseidon. It's super blessed. It's going to be amazing for you. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. Sweet. I'm going to have, like, uh, many blessings. Well, he now has something to stand on for what he believes. He's like, oh, well, this guy understands that Poseidon's, you know, real. And, uh, and that's okay for me. Or, you know, he's, the believer's coming to dinner with this guy or girl. And they might be having the conversation and this guy might be sharing who Christ is and that there's only one true and living God. And then the guy says, oh, sorry, um, this meat was sacrificed to Poseidon. Um, I don't know if that's okay to eat. And you're like, oh yeah, sure, that's fine. It's okay, you don't need to worry about it. That person will be understanding, understandably confused. They'll be like, wait, you were saying there's one true God, but now you're saying, okay, this is, this is fine. This is okay to, to eat meat that's sacrificed to, to this God. So Paul is saying, consider others, right? Consider the person that, that you're being invited to. See, he's saying, he said earlier on in Corinthians, I became a servant to all that I might win all. He became all things for all men that he may win them to the gospel. And the thing is, it's, it's, not, um, it's not having an ulterior motive. He's just being considerate of the other person. He, want, he doesn't want to put a stumbling block in front of them. Because if he's giving them life, why would he chop them off at the knees <laughs> while he's doing that? that? That doesn't make sense, right? So he's saying, listen, consider others before you eat the meat. So this goes into the last, uh, the last section, verse 31. Therefore, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Now, this is the third and final key to understanding all these passages. The first is you are one with Christ. The second, consider others. And the third, do all to the glory of God. You know, my grandma used to say to my dad and, and my uncle and my aunt, doesn't matter if you're scrubbing toilets or you're running a business, do it all to the glory of God. Now you may ask, how in the world do I scrub toilets to the glory of God? <laughs> That's absurd. Well, think of it like this. If someone is having the worst time in their life, could be years, months, whatever, their life is chaos, everything's breaking, everything's not working out, it, everything is not going as planned. And they go to the washroom and they see a perfectly clean place. That can be the tipping point for someone. If that was not clean, you don't know what could have happened. It's a straw that broke the camel's back. So when they see this clean, nice, fresh new place, 
they can have peace. And that's blessing them. And you know what? You may not know that, and believe me, you don't want to see them when they're being blessed <laughs> on that. But God does. God knows that. And that's the heart that we should have for it. We, not to look for, for our own glory, but for God's glory. And sometimes we do things, we have no idea the ramifications of it. And you, you may have saved a person's life by doing the smallest thing. Now, that's not to say you got to freak out now. Everything that you do, you're like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. But it's, it's the heart behind it. it it's, it's more than just the heart. It, you, as a person, should look to glorify God. You, as a believer, should look to glorify God. Now, this is important because all this, and here's the context, all this is perfectly enveloped by one thing, the law of Christ. Now, Paul makes reference to this earlier, but it's found in, in the Gospels, and this is what Jesus says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus explains how this, these two things, all the law and all the prophets hang on these two things. It's all complete on these two things. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the important thing to understand. See, you see this throughout all of what Paul is saying through these chapters. You know, he's saying, listen, uh, consider others before you eat meat, right? He also says, God is the one true and living God. That is Jesus Christ. There's only one. So he's saying, love God, love others. He says he has to defend his apostleship because some people were, were saying he was an apostle and it, he didn't need to, but he had, he had some other things to say. He says, I'm an apostle, I have rights, but I'm laying them aside to serve others. I'm, cons I, I'm being considerate of others. And he also says we should be servants to all, right? But we see this especially in chapter 10. And, and look at this. First he starts off, he says, flee from idolatry. Love God. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Love others. Do all to the glory of God. Love God. Give no offense, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many. Love others. See, it's all under these things. And you see even Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.20, For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You see, as Christians, our body is not our own. We are now one with Christ. Therefore, use your body to glorify God. We should look to serve him fully. Not just look at what we can or can't do, what, what shells we can and can't step on. No, we should look to the things that glorify God. Now, as you see, life is, and you know, life is pretty complicated. So when you hear love God and love others, it's simple, but it's complex in its application. You see that it, it even goes down to just eating meat with, with another person, right? And the beauty of it is, though, it is, it's really simple. 
It's just love God and love others. Put God first and then others before yourself. See, that's how these things can go well, <laughs> is doing that. And, you know, Paul says in Romans 12:1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. See, it's reasonable because God sent his son to die for you. At the least we could do is give our, our bodies that we are living now to him. We, we can serve him in all that we do. So this is encompassing all. Paul says, listen, put God first and put others next. And these things will come. And one thing uh, that he says there too is he says, give no offense. Now, that can be easily misconstrued because it's like, oh, well, you just offended me. That's clearly against the Bible. Well, it's important to remember what he's saying. Offense is an occasion to stumble, leading someone into sin. Paul says none of our behavior should encourage another to sin. That's what he's talking about. Don't put a stumbling block in front of someone else. Don't lead someone else into sin. That's not right. That's not good. But, as you know, Paul was quite offensive <laughs> in some of what he said. Not out of, you know, he was rude, but he cared to tell the truth, and sometimes the truth is offensive. Now, that's, again, doesn't give you an excuse to go offend <laughs> everybody, but sometimes building someone up, edifying them, picking them up, growing them, hurts. It does, and it's not fun sometimes. It's not some fun to rebuke somebody. But if you were wood and you got a nail driven through you, that, that, that would hurt too, right? But you're, you're a building in the house, right? You're a piece of the house. See, it's not always nice and fun to get built up. Sometimes it takes a little bit of knocking down to get built up again. So I'd encourage you guys again, read the word, understand the word, look to know the word and apply it to your life. And remember that God truly wants to be with you and he loves you dearly. So let's close in prayer. Lord, I just want to thank you again for all that you are, God, for just being so incredibly amazing, God. Your love for us is just beyond understanding, Lord. And we just thank you for giving us your son that we can have eternal life with you, Lord. And I pray for those who may not know this or who are uncertain about this. Lord, I just pray that you would show them how amazing you are, how good you are, that you as the creator of the universe wants to be in fellowship with them. And God, I just pray and thank you for this, Lord, and I just pray that you would continue to work in us, help us to look to glorify you in all ways. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.